Ephesians 4, got it? Good? Ready? Um, so, I don't know if you know this, but I turned 36 years old this last week. I am officially an old man. Um, so I'm told by everybody younger than me, and by everyone who's older than me, they keep telling me that, oh, you are so young, you could be my son or my grandson. Um, nobody has told me that I could be their great-grandson yet. But um, So this, this week, uh, on my birthday, we went out with my family, and, um, you know, my kids, I guess I would just say they weren't exactly obeying um, like I would hope they would. So my middle daughter, here she is, just so you can get a picture of her. That is Avia. Basically summarizes everything about her right there. Um, and uh, she, she is a very sweet soul. So um, I'm walking in front, and her and Brienne are having a conversation. And Brienne wrote it down so that we got this right. And uh, so they're thinking about what to get me for my birthday. And uh, she says, how about we get Dad a book for his birthday? And my wife says, what book would you like to get him? And she said, an adult book on parenting. <laughs> it's true. She says, what do you want Daddy to learn? And she said, um, how to get mad and not yell. Right? Are you judging me right now? I'm just trying to be transparent. Remember the Sermon on Truthfulness? Right? So, you know, I, I think I've learned these habits with my kids when I get mad or upset or angry, and legitimately, because disobedience is evil, so, right, I'm justified. Uh, and so when I get upset, like, talking in a normal tone of voice doesn't seem to break through whatever noise is happening. So I elevate my voice to break through the noise, but here's, here's what God has been teaching me about this little girl. All I have to do is look at her and her soul breaks. I mean, I just look at her the wrong way, and she could just start weeping. It is a powerful thing. And then I've been watching and I've been learning the effect of my anger on her soul. Here's what I get. Fearful obedience. That's what I get. How many of you want fearful obedience from your children? Don't raise your hand. That's not good. That is not what God wants for you to get from your children. What I want is for her to have a heart that loves to obey because Jesus is transforming that part of her heart. And it's interesting because the very tool that I'm using, which is my anger, is actually getting the exact opposite response of what I want. And it took her looking at me and saying, Daddy, um, you need to stop yelling. Okay? Now, in my brain, I'm not yelling. I'm just talking loudly. But in her little five-year-old mind, um, I am screaming at the top of my lungs and breaking her soul. Now, like, of course, none of you can relate to this. Great. Can I get an amen? Right? None of you, especially moms, you know, like dads at work are gone. It's just you and the kids, and you're just calm, cool, and collected the whole time. And then your husband comes home, and the house is clean, right? That's exactly how it works. I, just, I totally understand it. Um, I, I want to make a point, though, as we talk about anger. Um, this may be contrary to what you have been taught, and that's okay, so I want you just to allow me this message to change your mind a little bit. Um, anger is a useful, God-glorifying emotion. Anger is a useful, God-glorifying emotion. Now, here's the big, the big two words, if, right? If you can use it correctly. Um, if you can use it correctly. So uh, anger has a bad rap amongst preachers. Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been listening to a number of sermons on anger, and almost every single sermon um, took the following approach. If you're angry, you're out of control and sinning. And, and I, I just want to pause, I want to rewind a little bit, and I want to say anger is a good, useful, God-glorifying emotion if it is used correctly. Now, anger, to me, it's like sexuality. It is one of these 
powerful, powerful things inside of you that is so easily abused. And if you're going to use it rightly, correctly to bring God glory, it is going to require the Holy Spirit and self-control. It, it is that powerful of an emotion. So what I want to do is take some time and help you understand it. Um, but the reason anger is good, I want you to catch this, is because God gets angry and God doesn't do anything that's bad. Um, everything that God does is holy and righteous and flawless and perfect. And God, we find him in Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, getting angry and then acting out in wrath. But I want you to catch something because there are some misnomers and misunderstandings about God's anger. One of these lies is that uh, the God of the Old Testament is a God of anger. The God of the New Testament is a God of love. FYI, um, whoever says that needs to read their Bible a lot more carefully because that is not the picture. Uh, that is not the distinction drawn between the Old and the New Testament. Um, another one of these uh, misunderstandings is that God gets angry really quickly. Like if you disobey him, he's just like, oh, I can't believe you did that, right? Uh, the Bible says this about God. He is slow to anger. I mean, you just read the Bible. You read the stories of these people. You should be asking the following question. Why don't you jump in and obliterate them sooner, right? That's what I feel like. Now, unless it's my story, right? I'm really glad he hasn't jumped into my life and obliterated me any sooner, right? But it's a lot easier for me to look at other people and say, intervene and look at my own life and say, grace, patience, be slow to anger with me, right? And it's interesting because we could learn quite a bit about God and his anger. God's like a volcano. If you ever see a volcano erupt, it's going to be very, very devastating. Let me be clear. I have not. I've only seen it on videos. But a volcano just all of a sudden doesn't erupt because it's bored. It's been waiting and building and escalating over a long period of time. And that's how God is. If someone pushes God to anger, here's what I want you to know. They have been pushing him for a long time. God isn't just going to erupt and be like, Wah! right? It is because he has been waiting patiently, hoping, uh, moving someone toward repentance. And at the end of the day, if someone is going to be belligerently moving in sin, you might find yourself arousing the anger of God. But if you arouse the anger of God, you have aroused the God who is slow to anger. Now, I want to read just a couple um, verses from you from the Old Testament. Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is, this is the next line, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. So you could just read this and you can make it sound like God is just really grumpy. He's like, oh, I'm just wrathful. Oh, I'm just angry. But the author wants you to hold your understanding of God's anger in check. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, but the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God is a perfect righteous judge, and so if you come before him guilty, he's not just going to say, everyone's forgiven. I'm a God of love, and a God of love overlooks all injustices in the entire world. Lamentations chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 3. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has cut down in fierce ang anger all the might of Israel. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. I mean, I want you, I'm reading these because I want you to understand something. God never sins. And he apparently is able to exist in anger and wrath 
and vengeance and be completely good and completely righteous. Now, this is one verse that honestly has struck me. Very simple, Psalm 711, like the 711 store. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Every day. Now, some of you, um, this is going to be hard because you have heard your whole life and bought into the lie, God is a God of love, which is he a God of love? Please say yes. But that's all God is. And I want to tell you this, that God is not only and simply a God of love, God is a God of wrath, he's a God of justice, he's a God of mercy, he's a God of anger, he's a God of vengeance, he's a God of grace, that the attributes of God scale the emotions, they, go, they, they run the gamut, um, and all of them, when he expresses these, are perfect and righteous always. And I, wa- I want to show you, just really quickly, I'm going to help you experience this, why the notion that God is only and always love all the time is complete foolishness and complete nonsense. And I want you to just um, put yourself in God's position for one moment, if you could do that. And I want to talk about sex slavery for a moment. 20.9 million adults and children are bought and sold worldwide into the commercial sex slave industry. Two million of them are children, exploited every year in the global commercial sex trade. Women and girls make up 98% of all trafficking victims for sexual exploitation. It's estimated that one in six runaways are actually um, right now in the sex slave industry in America. In 2014, in Denver, Colorado, the sex slave industry brought $40 million of revenue in um, in that industry. In Atlanta, it was $290 million is how much profit people are making in the sex slave industry in America, and a pimp can make between 150,000 and 200K per child each year, and on average exploits between four and six girls. Are you angry? Because if you're not, there's something really wrong with you. We'll just keep going. Here's one of the um, quotes from a child uh, released from sex slavery. They forced me to sleep with as many as 50 customers a day. I had to give the pimp all my money. If I did not earn a set amount of money, they punished me by removing my clothes, beating me with a stick until I fainted, electrocuting me, and cutting me. Standard. In America, happening. Let's talk about abortion. Every year, 1 million abortions in the U.S. 59 million abortions since Roe v. Wade. Every year, 45 million abortions worldwide since 1980, 1.4 billion. How many per second? Right now, 1.4 per second. God sits in heaven, and he feels and sees and processes and experiences every human, every experience, every evil perfectly. He sees them for what they are, and he processes them. Now let me just read this verse to you, Psalm 711. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God is legitimately angry. And you should be too sometimes. If I can read that to you, and then you can get up and tell your kids, anger is always a sin, then something is desperately wrong. And the reason I read that to you is because in this moment, you were created when you hear these kind of things to experience this good, godly, God-glorifying emotion. You should hear that, and there should be something inside of you that says, I am legitimately angry. But here's the difference between your anger and God's anger. Two things. Number one, God can experience all emotions simultaneously. You and I um, can experience one, maybe two. I, I don't know how God can experience all of that. And then, I mean, here's what I I think about it like this. Um, I think it's, 
I actually have the stats in here. Um, one person per minute worldwide is murdered on, on average. Right? And that's, not, that's just the act of murder. That's not all the thought and the foresight that goes into it, the premeditation. Okay? So there's that. Uh, rape. In 2010, 1.5 um, women per minute were raped in America. Abortion, pornography, one in five internet searches are for pornography. Adultery, lying, slander, bitterness, gossip. At every single moment, God is taking all this in and processing it. And yet, he is also simultaneously processing what the church is doing. He's also processing and watching and rejoicing as people get saved. He's also working and building and forming Christ in people at the same time. Do you see how complicated God is? Like, we try to make God so simple and so easy to understand and so comprehend, we can barely handle one emotion at a time, and yet God is perfectly in righteousness handling all the good and all of the evil and feeling and experiencing and processing them all perfectly. Like, when I think about this stuff, I just, I'm kind of left in awe. And so some of us, you might land and you might think this, that God must be only anger all the time. But if you miss that, actually, um, God is more love all the time than he is anger. Somehow that this is the dominant way that we experience him as Christians, as a God of love. That's what he gives to us. That is, we are sons and daughters who are beloved of God and, and who he cares for affectionately. And yet, at the same time, he's feeling this indignation every day. And I want you to see this, that God can experience multiple emotions simultaneously Simultaneously, and the two don't contradict each other, just because you're not able to do that yourself doesn't mean God can't do it. But here's the second um, difference between God's anger and mine. God is permitted to act in wrath. I am not. If anger is emotion, malice is intent, wrath is the execution of anger. You and I are permitted in certain parameters to experience anger. Here's what you and I are not allowed to do. We are not allowed to act out in wrath. Vengeance is who, says the Lord? Mine. I will repay. Your job is never wrath. His job is to execute wrath on his timetable in his way. And every single time that God executes his vengeance or his wrath or applies his anger, it is always good and holy and perfect and righteous and just. Godly anger is rooted in justice it's rooted in goodness, and it's rooted in holiness. And so just in case you might think that wrath is just the Old Testament God, I want to just fast forward to the end of the Bible, and it talks about those who are, going to, um, who are going to associate with the beast. And here's what it says. He also, the beast, will drink the wine of God's wrath, or the people who follow him, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, there's something we have to do before we get into anger in Ephesians, because we will get to Ephesians. This isn't just about anger and making you all sad and bummed. <laughs> okay. um, some of you have been on the receiving end of abusive anger, and for, for you, hearing a message on anger is like a traffic victim hearing a sermon on the goodness of sexuality. And so I'm just really aware right now that some of you, you're next to a husband or wife who has lashed out on you for weeks, months, years, or decades, and you're concerned that a pastor is going to get up and enable them. 
And I just want to say, if there's any part of this message that enables sinful anger, um, that is not the intent. In fact, I hope that we find the intent is that any expressions of wrath toward another person are sinful and are reserved only for God. And that probably, my hope is that there's probably going to be a lot of people who need to look at their kids and their spouse and say, I need to repent. Will you forgive me? Because I have not loved you, and I have taken God's responsibility of wrath and vengeance and justice onto my own shoulders, and I have played a God card for you, and that is not my role. My role is to love you well and to resolve my anger, not execute my anger on you with my words, fists, hands, or emotions. And so when we get to this um, um, Subject as we turn to uh, um, Ephesians chapter 4, I want to ask you to make two commitments with me in your, in your sermon notes. This is the first one. Um, Satan, you may not have this emotion. There are some emotions that if I am the evil one and I see arousing in you, I am going to pounce on them because we are weak when these take control. Um, these are emotions that can cause great damage to yourself and to other people. And if I know you're prone to anger, this is going to be one of those things. If I'm the evil one, I'm going to try to trip you up using this. Okay? And so there needs to be a commitment made on our end, which is this. Satan, I will not give you this emotion. You may not have it. So here's what Ephesians 4.26 says. It says, be angry and do not sin. Good luck on that, by the way. <laughs> do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So let's take this one at a time. Number one, um, get more angry at sin and less angry at people. Get more angry at sin and less angry at people. The majority of the time that most people that I experience get mad, who are we mad at? Sin? Please say no, because you know that's not true, Right? You're mad at the person. You did this. You made me feel this way. You took this away from me. It is a you thing. There is no cosmic divine justice. You have disobeyed God and have made his heart sad. Therefore, I'm upset, right? That is not what's coming out of most of our mouths or most of our hearts when we get upset. I want you to hear what Jesus says. Uh, he's, he kind of just gets to the point. Matthew 5, 21. Here's what Jesus says. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everybody who is angry, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Guilty of what, by the way? Murder. Because the execution of murder um, starts with the core issue of anger. He says this, And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, you shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says, you fool, you shall be guilty enough to go into the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then present your offering. I'm going to give you three primary motivations that you're going to have to be angry.